Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. If anything kills over 10 million people in the next few decades, it's most likely to be a highly infectious virus rather than a war. Not missiles, but microbes. That was Microsoft founder Bill Gates five years ago. In 2015, he gave a popular TED Talk where he warned that the greatest risk of a global catastrophe wouldn't come from nuclear war. It would come from a highly infectious virus. I spoke to Bill Gates on Thursday night during a CNN town hall on the coronavirus together with my friend and colleague Anderson Cooper. Bill Gates and his wife Melinda have already given $100 million toward global efforts to control COVID-19 through their Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Today, I want to share with you some of the highlights from our conversation. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. Bill Gates has called for more investment in epidemic preparedness around the world. And he started on Thursday night by telling us that the United States has not done nearly enough to prepare for the situation we're in now. When you don't know that a problem will come around, sometimes people prepare like we prepare for war with war games and putting lots of money into that. But sadly, we'd gone long enough without a disease here in the United States uh, that even though we had Ebola and Zika and SARS, uh, not much happened. The countries that really were affected by SARS actually are the ones uh, that uh, have Mm. done the best in this epidemic because they acted when the number of cases were still very, very small. So, so, um, Bill, when you you give a talk like you did in 2015 and then you see what's happening now, I mean, could you have foreseen the rest of this, uh, the the sort of response, the lack of infrastructure, the lack of resources, no apparent strategy really out of the gate? Has that part of it surprised you, given that, I mean, you were sounding the alarm five years ago? Well, one of the things I called for is in that the same way we do war games on a regular basis and we say, okay, we're not ready to deal with uh, surprises, I called for us to do germ games and look at, okay, who would talk to the private sector? Who would make sure that testing capacity was raised? Who would make sure that the right people are being tested, you know, not somebody without symptoms getting tested daily, uh, rather, uh, you know, medical personnel who have symptoms who really need to know. And so I wouldn't have predicted exactly how slow and how uh, somewhat chaotic the response has been. But if we had done those simulations, we would have seen some of these flaws in the system. And you know, behaved uh, a little bit like the countries that have have done the best on this one. What stage do you think the pandemic is in right now in the United States and globally? And and I guess, you know, what people at home want to know is how close are we to a peak here in the U.S.? Well, the good news is that uh, China did their uh, shutdown and they did it in a very serious way. 
And after a six-week period of a shutdown that's more extreme than even the best states in the United States are likely to do, they were able to start opening up again. And the total number of cases there uh, is very, very small. So that's very good news. So we're entering to a tough period that if we do it right, we'll only have to do it once for six to 10 weeks. But we have to do it, it has to be the whole country. We have to raise the level of testing and the prioritization of that testing quite dramatically in order to make sure we go through one shutdown so that we take the medical problem uh, and really stop it before there's a large number of deaths. We do then get an economic problem, which is why you, you want to minimize the amount of time. And having states go at different things or thinking you can do it county by county, that will not work. The cases will be exponentially growing anywhere you don't have a serious shutdown. In many states, there, there's less than, than 200 cases right now. You're saying even in those states, the same kind of shutdown needs to occur? Well, let's say you have 100 cases and let's say you don't do a shutdown, then it grows 33% per day. So you take 100, you get 1,000, you get 10,000. It's exponential growth. If you're not stopping it, they, mm. you, the sooner you in, engage in the shutdown, the easier it is to get to that peak. We have, we have not peaked, uh, you know, the parts of the country that aren't shut down by the, in late April, we should start to see the numbers peak there. They'll still be too high to open up. So you'll probably have to go another month to really get those numbers down. But any part of the country that has cases, and, and truthfully, because of our uh, problems with testing, because uh, we're not prioritizing testing the right way, that a lot of those places actually do have cases. But even if they have the 100, that will grow uh, and people do cross county boundaries. And so basically the whole country needs to do what uh, was done in the part of China where they had these infections. I, I don't want to be political in any way, um, but just in terms of for folks who are out there, you know, and, and looking forward, I always think it's better to know just factually what's coming down the pike than, uh, you know, then it's good to have hopes and aspirations, but it's good also to know what's actually coming down the pike. For people who are, are believing or imagining that, you know, uh, in middle of April or early April, people are going to be able to gather together in churches for, for, you know, Easter celebrations or, you know, go back to work in a regular way. It's sounding like you're saying you don't believe that's realistic. No, it's not realistic. The numbers are still going up. Uh, that only happens after the numbers have peaked and are going down a lot and getting down to an absolute level. Uh, you know, there are some good things happening. The work on a vaccine, although that probably will take 18 months, that's going full speed ahead. Our foundation is funding that. We're looking at getting vaccines to everyone in the world. So in, in, the, in the long run, that is the key thing. Uh, we had a really positive result that people were wondering, did you have to have a medical person swab you in this way that they stuck it deep in your nose? We were able to prove, which the mon on, F on Monday the FDA made official that if you do a self-test uh, where you don't have to have the medical work with personal protection equipment, that self-test is as accurate as the one where the medical worker gives it. So that means that uh, by self-swabbing, uh, we'll be able to get a lot more tests done 
uh, and only be limited by the uh, PCR backend capacity. So there's, you know, there's good news coming. One of the therapeutics, although none of them are proven out, but there are quite a few. We have a, a thing the foundation created called the Therapeutics Accelerator to really look at thousands of compounds and make sure we focus the uh, human trials on the ones that have the most promise. So, you know, innovation, which some of which we could have done in advance, but innovation really is happening. But, you know, when you look at those numbers, the U.S., you know, now with the most cases, uh, at, you know, there is no state that has gotten to the point where their numbers are flat and are going down. And the testing capacity is means we're quite blind uh, to a, a lot of these cases right now. So it 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 can be done, uh, but uh, we're not, you know, the light is not at the end of the tunnel in terms of a, a mid-April reopening. With this, you know, Dr. Fauci, I think, has been very clear that this is a year, 18 months, whatever, that it will take before people could actually get this vaccine. Are there, are there, and I, and I, and I, I know that he's, he's right about that, but I'm just wondering from, from a technological standpoint, are there ways to speed this up using genetically modified virus or anything to, to expedite the process? Well, for the next pandemic, we should be able to make diagnostics very quickly, like hundreds of millions within two months. We should be able to scale up antiviral drugs from a much bigger library within like six months. And by being ready with this RNA platform, we should be able to make vaccines in more like a year than a year and a half. Uh, and so we can, and I think governments this time probably will pay attention uh, to uh, making those investments for the next one. Um, you know, the. One of the biggest open questions is the therapeutics. Can we very quickly uh, find an antiviral drug uh, that really means the number of people who have to go on the respirator is much lower and cuts that death rate quite a bit? Uh, you know, it's tough enough in the U.S. Uh, with the, uh, we put a lot of money into our health system. If you think about this as you get to India, Nigeria, uh, and the the even poorer countries in Africa, you know, just imagine what the overload's gonna look like there, and yet they won't be able to do the uh, that isolation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we, as we've gotten the disease down with the low infection rate, we'll have to be not letting people go to those countries or come from those countries hardly at all. It'll be very strict in terms of how that testing is done. Uh, so the sooner we solve this on a global basis, the sooner we can go back to the kind of world economy that actually was in very good shape uh, before this came along. And, and just to be clear, you think that there will be lessons learned and, and applied for the next pandemic? It seems sometimes, unless something yeah. is, is smacking us in the face, Bill, that people just don't pay attention, even when it comes to their own individual health, let, let alone public health. Well, talk about being smacked in the face. What's going on here? is mind-blowing never in my lifetime uh has you know have we had to change our behavior and have this drastic effect on the economy in order to save lives and you know there are people who wish we didn't have to do that I, that is fully understandable this is some very tough medicine but it's better to take the economic problem where the economy can come back than to allow it to spread throughout the country and take millions of deaths is the price that we have to pay here. And so, yeah, I think this is a smack on the head. 
you know, this will cost trillions of dollars. They just passed a $2 trillion relief bill, and now they're talking about more. The kind of research to be ready for the next pandemic is a tens of billions of numbers. So it, it'll look almost trivial compared to the price we're paying now. And that price would have been a lot lower if the world was more prepared. You've talked tonight a number of times, you referenced the importance of testing. And I just kind of want to circle back to that because we're hearing from a number of of public leaders that they seem to be de-emphasizing and saying, look, we're not going to test the whole country. And there's now guidelines that if you have symptoms, you probably don't even need to get tested. As long as you're not very sick, you can stay at home. And if things get worse, then contact a hospital or, or your doctor. Can you just talk about the role of testing has moving forward? I mean, obviously, we know the problems with the tests that existed. We know all that. But just moving forward, how important it is to keep testing? And do you want to, just to get data, is it you just test the people who have symptoms? Do you test people who have no symptoms whatsoever to kind of get some sort of a baseline? Yeah. For surveillance, you probably do want to go out and almost randomly pick people, even asymptomatics, to see if you're missing something there. And and, uh, our foundation with partners in the Seattle area actually has uh, that going on. We took a flu study that we were doing before and and repurposed it. Actually, that flu study was the first to see community spread of coronavirus in the U.S. and, you know, should have been a a red flag when when that was seen. In any case, the testing is very key. The only reason we talk about what you do if you can't get a test is that demand will exceed supply, even as we get organized with more capacity and we're doing the prioritization, uh, not everyone will be able to be tested. I mean, people are so concerned now that if you really could test everybody, you know, that would be nice, but we don't have, you know, 300 million uh, tests available, even if we're, we're doing the right things. Testing is how you know what's going on. That's where you see those red dots. That Uh, is the indicator that'll tell you we're not doing enough of a shutdown or actually now we can start to back off. So testing has to keep going up. Testing is very, very central, but we won't be able to get a test to everybody who just uh, wants that that peace of mind. Unfortunately, you know, eventually we may have a strip test that tests for the virus, not for serology. But if it has the right sensitivity, we could have Uh, scale up there. But unfortunately, that's probably, you know, six to nine months before we'll have that type of at home test. Mm. If if I could just ask one more thing, because I I think you're you're so your voice is so important here. But there's a lot of people who are watching right now who who have not been affected by this and they're not they're feeling fine. They don't know anybody who's contracted the coronavirus. How, How do you best convey risk in a situation like this? Well, if we do the the shutdown properly, the percentage of people who get infected will actually be very low. That's the idea, is to not get up to like 1%, which you know then is 4%, 16%, if you keep letting it exponentiate that way. So you have to stop well short of that 1%. You know, the damage, there will be a lot of economic damage. Somebody who owns a restaurant, somebody you know who's, who's now, uh, their job is not there. That, um, you know, we'll have to be creative on this new ground, how we do things like relief packages to help out and and minimize a lot of that pain. But the medical risk, if we do this thing well, the chance that you're going to get coronavirus and die of it is not super high. We're really focused on this because we need to be to change the behavior, to nip it in the bud 
at modest percentages of the population. Well, Bill, thank you very much for being with us tonight, and thank all you right. for your work, the work that you and uh, Melinda do uh, all the time. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. There's no question there's been a lot of lessons learned already over the last three and a half months, and many more lessons still to come. The question is, will we remember them the next time we deal with the pandemic? If you want to hear the entire town hall, head to the CNN Town Halls and Debates feed on your favorite podcast app. And if you have questions, you can record them as a voice memo and email them to Sanjay at CNN.com. I hope to include them in our podcast. We'll be back Monday. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.